Man. How incredible is that? Just utterly, utterly incredible. I mean, I get excited every time I see that. Uh, one of the things that we do not want to be here at the church, we don't want to be a, a big religious receptacle where everybody comes in and, and puts their church on once a week and just kind of sits and learns spiritual things. We, we want to be a mobilizing force where we go out and bless the city. And, and as a result of that, oftentimes I take on the attitude of a coach in here trying to motivate us as a team to go make a difference. And sometimes uh, my motivation comes off as very judging. I'll give you an example when that came across. No, you're going, you're kidding. Yeah, really, it does. I mean, might surprise you, but actually it does. Um, uh, a number of weeks ago, a friend of mine um, uh, asked me to get together with an older couple here at the church I'd never met before who um, uh, is looking to die someday because, you know, the, the, you know, the death rate is right around 100%. I mean, I don't know if you know that or not. It's just, it's hovering right there. It's only a matter of time. And, and they wanted to talk about... Um, putting crossroads in their will. And so as we talked about that, they couldn't help but tell me how, how angry they were when I said, if you, don't go to, if you don't do Go Cincinnati, then you are a loser. And I was trying to you know, encourage people. That's my way of encouraging people. And what they, what they said was, hey, you know, um, we're, 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 we're really physically challenged. We can't bend down and plant things anymore and do, do those sort of things. And the words came off as very judging and very stifling. And this is what happens when we say those kinds of things or say anything that puts somebody down and not even just say it, not even say it, but also even think it, even think it. In fact, some of those judgmental people never say what they're thinking. They just think it and they bring a cancer on themselves and even to their relationships. It's very relationally unintelligent. That's what we're going to deal with today. Let's pray. God, I pray that um, as I uh, talk about this topic, that uh, you would help us to see you you and, and the differences in which uh, this way comes out and the way in which you want us to come out of this behavior. So I pray that you'd uh, give us your truth and give us your grace today and help my words to be helpful and most importantly reflective of your heart and your mind. Amen. All right, let me tell you what we're not talking about when we talk about judgmentalism. We're not talking about discerning. Discerning is when you, when you see something and notice something is wrong and you choose to not do that. That's not discerning. There is a need to differentiate between what is good, what is bad, what is healthy, what is unhealthy, what is of, what is of God, what is of evil. I'm not talking about discerning, noticing things in somebody's life that isn't right and taking a mental note to yourself saying, I need to not do those things. We're not talking about that. We're also not talking about when you're in a relationship with somebody, you know somebody, and you see something in their life that is unhealthy, not right, and you decide to speak that to them. And you try to get them to change. That's what we talked about week one, speaking the truth in love. We're not talking about a sort of holistic communication that's tied into you being committed to that person. That's not judging. That's not what we're talking about today. We're also not talking about in settings such as this where people come together and, uh, and they open up the Bible and they clearly communicate what is in the Bible and the ramifications of that. That's preaching. That's teaching. That's not judging. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is this endless conversation that happens inside of us whereby we try to elevate ourselves by putting other people down. We try to magnify other people's faults and in the process give ourselves a false illusion that we're really better than we are. This is not part of the American condition. This is part of the human condition. Let me see if you can guess who, uh, guess who this is right here. Um, this is not Darth Vader. Um, see if you can get just 
take a guess at who this is right here. I don't know if you can. Uh, that is, um, it's either Adam or Eve. I'm not sure which that is, actually. It's kind of like, it's either like that mannequin is like a girly man or a manly girl. I'm not sure which, which it is, but, but this, in essence, is a, is a depiction of what's in the Bible when Adam and Eve decide to rebel. There's a lot that's involved in this story. We're not going to go into all of it right now. But here's what happens. God says, there's this one thing I don't want you to do. They decided to do it. They rebel. Immediately after they rebel, immediately after stuff happens in their life that shouldn't happen, here's what the Bible says in the book of Genesis chapter 3. It says this. Uh, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Up to this point... Uh, they were open, they were honest, they were vulnerable, nothing was hidden. And then immediately, they start fashioning clothes. Now, uh, I'm not anti-clothes today. This is not a pro-nudist uh, message today. Please keep your clothes on. Please, please, please keep your clothes on. But let's just notice something that's happening here. Isn't it true that clothes we use to cover ourselves up and make ourselves less embarrassed around other people? You know, we don't want to go swimming. If we do go swimming, we really make sure that we have the right bathing suit that, that hides things we don't want to be seen. If we have to take our shirt off in public to change clothes, or someone's, you know, we will naturally just kind of suck in a little bit and, you know, and do whatever we need to do or kind of flex our, you know, our things like this. Or we'll, 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 we'll spend all kinds of tra- time trying to find the clothes that are flattering to us. Why is that? Is it because we're obsessed with our body? Maybe. It also might be that we know that people are going to judge us based on our appearance. We know that people are going to think less of us if we don't look right. And so clothes, clothes in a large degree are about lessening the judgment we get from other people. I, in many ways, I'm like, a, I'm like a woman when I get ready to come up on stage because I go, man, I, I, I wonder what I should wear. I, wonder what, I don't really don't care what I wear, but I, I know people care what I wear. <laughs> So I don't want to wear something too dressy. I don't want to bear wear a suit because I don't want people to wear a suit. And then I think, oh man, if I'm too casual, maybe pe- people think that I'm irreverent or something. Or maybe, maybe if I have a name label, people will think that I'm all stuck up and fuddy-duddy. Maybe if, I, maybe if I wear Crocs without socks, people think I'm just really pushing it too much. Maybe if I, I just think these things because I do the same thing. I look at people and I judge people based on their clothes, based on their appearance. You ever find yourself having this constant interaction when you're sitting on a park bench? When you're walking in the mall, when you're anywhere, you see people and there's instantaneous snap decisions. You need to work out more. Look at the next person. You need to work out less. You're just totally into your body. Look at the next person and say, man, the way you're raising your kids, what are you thinking about raising your kids? I look at your kids. Well, my kids don't behave that way. Don't I feel better because my kids aren't behaving that way? We judge somebody else because of the haircuts they have. We judge somebody else because of the car that they have. Motorcycle riders judge people for the other motorcycles they have. A Harley rider can judge somebody who has a Japanese bike, saying, oh, you're not buying American. A Japanese uh, rider can judge a Harley rider because they say, what are you doing? You spent all that money for a bike that doesn't run as good as mine. And it just, it goes on and on. Motorcycles, we, uh, you, you could judge me if I don't wear a helmet. I could judge you if you wear a full face helmet and body armor because I think you're too, too afraid of crashing. You're ruled by fear. We judge other people because of the house they bought. You bought a house that's too big. You bought a house that's too small. We'll judge somebody for, for the way in which they're eating. We'll judge somebody 
for the person in which they're dating, will judge somebody for the shoes that they're wearing, will judge somebody because they seem to have a car payment, will judge somebody because they have one more car than they have drivers in their, in their house, will judge somebody because they can't get ahead financially, we think that they're a slacker, we judge somebody. It goes on and on and on and on and on. It's this constant thing. And so every time I see somebody that causes me to have this attitude of judgment, I can ask myself, am I going to actually put them down or try to pull themselves up. See, one of the things that judging does is it momentarily, momentarily makes us feel better about ourselves. Momentarily, it makes us feel better about ourselves. We really are not better, but we feel better because we've noticed somebody who seems to not have it together in an area where we think that we have it together. Now, this isn't, this isn't an American thing. This is a human thing. All humans all across the world in all time periods have this condition. This is not an American thing. This is an all-human thing. Adam and Eve struggle with this, and so did this story happen in the book of John, chapter 8, that I want to walk through today. Here we see how religious people actually are trying to justify themselves in, in their judgments and putting down of a person who's been ca- caught having an adulterous affair. This comes from the book of John, chapter 8. I'm going to read this today. There's, uh, if, you, if you've uh, done much reading of people who like to bash the Bible, this is uh, one of the verses that people say discredits the Bible because this verse actually is not in some of the earliest manuscripts that are found of the Bible. I do believe that this, uh, this section happened. Maybe it shouldn't have been in John, or maybe it... Maybe it was added by other people who are eyewitnesses later. But I do believe this happened. It fits in line entirely with the, with the, with the breadth, of, breadth of Jesus' life, all that he said, all that he did. And, uh, and I'm totally confident that. So I'm going to read this today, and we're going to talk about this. Here's what it says. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Not be stoned with such women, but to stone such women. Now, what what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing them. They say, hey, here's a woman that we ought to just stone. You got a stone when you came in today. Just go ahead and pick up that stone, if you will. Just, just hold it in your hand if, uh, if, if you want to. A little tactile experience to actually hold this thing in your hand. Um, Jesus is in a place where there's a bunch of religious people, a bunch of Jews that are, that are, that are doing their thing. It's actually a festival season. And this, this woman is caught and brought before Jesus. And they're trying to, they're, they're constantly judging Jesus. Jesus is getting so much judgment. And the religious people, religious people are especially great at judging. Everybody judges, but religious people especially judge because we have the Bible on our side. And we can pull out verses that justify why we're better than the next person. And so here you have the religious people that are judging this person and trying to get Jesus trying to get Jesus to go down a few pegs because he's caught between a rock and a hard place. In the Old Testament, there's all these verses, all these scriptures that are written for a tight, cohesive society, how the society is to function. And they would constantly try to pluck out one verse, one verse, and try to say, if Jesus wasn't doing this verse, then he obviously isn't from God. He obviously isn't God. 
where there's a breadth of other information to look at when you apply a specific situation or uh, apply teaching to a situation. So here it is. They go, okay, we're going to get Jesus no matter what. We're going to be able to judge him and condemn him in front of everybody. If he says, let's stone this woman, then, then everyone's, we can say, oh, oh, aren't you real nice? You're real nice and loving, aren't you, Jesus? Wow. And if he says, no, let her go, then they can say, oh, so you say you're from God, but yet you don't honor the Bible. They have him between a rock and a hard place here. And the other thing that's very interesting about this situation is judgmental people are extremely inconsistent. Extremely inconsistent. Um, talked before about uh, homosexuality. It's one of the big litmus test questions that comes up very regularly. And what do you think about homosexuality? What do you think about homosexuality? It's a litmus test question that's thrown to me that if I answer one way, I, I'm, I'm going to look judgmental. If I answer another way, I'm going to look like I, I, I don't believe in the Bible. It's, it's, it's a litmus test. Very few people are actually trying to learn when they ask that question. And uh, what I say to people who... Um, who uh, uh, know the Bible and think that I should be talking about homosexuality all the time, I say, hey, look, the um, Bible does say that you know, those parts of the body are just not designed to go in other people's parts of the body. They're just not designed to go there. But at the same time, the Bible talks more about gluttony and overeating than, than having sex with people of the same sex. So why, why would I single out and go after this when... The bigger issue really in our society is people who are overweight, and that's spoken about more in the Bible. Mm. Yeah, yes, yes, that, that, that's a statement that can, can offend just about everybody in here, you know, one way or the other. And so this is what happens when you're judgmental. You're just kind of selective of the things that you want to go after. And here's this woman. It says she was caught in the act of adultery, and here she is. So where the question is, where's the guy? She was caught in the act. It wasn't like I heard some accusation. She was caught in the act of adultery. Last time I checked, the Bible said, it taketh two to tangoeth. That's the last I, that's the last I read. But yet, they've taken the woman and just yanked her in front of her. And you can imagine this woman, how, how beaten down she is, how humiliated she is, how exasperated she is. Everybody has just bent down, picked up a rock that's not unlike this one, and just ready to stone her. So let's see what Jesus says. Uh, but Jesus bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. He comes down, and he starts writing in the sand here, writing down now. This is a very uh, interesting thing here, because we have absolutely no idea why in the world he's doing this. Uh, this is one of the reasons uh, why I'm convinced this happened. This is one of the reasons why this stuff happens all throughout the Bible. It's actually recording history. It's not just recording spiritual ideals. It's recording history. Uh, I've been reading a book called Reason for God by Tim Keller. If you're a skeptic or not sure exactly why you believe what you believe, this is a great, great book. Uh, he, des he describes this book as C.S. Lewis for dummies. If you ever read C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis, brilliant Oxford professor, um, that uh, journeyed from being an atheist to an agnostic to being a staunch follower of Christ and believer in the Bible. And one of the things he does in this book is he quotes C.S. Lewis in talking about these acts where there's these historical details like doodling in the sand that are in the story that seem to have no reason why they're in the story and no explanation for why they're there, but yet points to the authenticity of the act in the story itself. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says this, 
I've been reading poems, romances, vision literature, legends, myths all my life. I know what they're like. I know none of them are like this. Of this gospel text, there are only two possible views. Either this is reportage, or else some unknown ancient writer without known predecessors or successors suddenly anticipated the whole technique of modern novelistic realistic narrative. He's saying in, in ancient literature, spiritual literature, whether it's the Bhagavad Gita, I said it wrong, sorry, or if it's the Iliad, everything has a meaning. Everything is tied to something else. But here in these stories, there's just these incidental details that point to the authenticity. So what is Jesus doing here? I, we, we don't know. There's various reasons why you're thinking maybe he's doodling. One, one idea was he's just trying to waste some time. He's going, oh gosh, how am I going to get myself out of this? I'll do, the old, I'll do the old distraction mode. I'll sit down and try to get my, hand, my, my hands dirty and have people go, what is he doing? Some people think maybe he's ADD. Maybe Jesus is ADD. He's like, that's a good question. Oh, oh. Oh, what'd you say? What'd you say? I'm sorry, I was in my own world. Maybe Jesus, was, maybe Jesus was, was ADD. One of the more interesting theories is that what Jesus was actually doing was, was, was sitting down, was sitting down and actually writing the names of the people who he knew were there, and along with their names, writing a sin or two. John. Lying. Sue gossiped about Jan. Bill did internet porn even though it's not invented yet. You know, that he, you know, that he was doing, doing this stuff. And he stands up after he's doing that. Maybe people are looking at him. He stands up and he says, uh, you know, whoever is without sin, whoever does not deserve to be judged, you can be the first person to actually throw their stone. This is what would happen. You would actually bend down, and when you would see somebody who did something you didn't think was right, you'd look at them and say, oh, oh. And actually, this is why, this is why in our world today, we don't wear fig leaves. We actually, we actually uh, wear stuff like this. This is, because of the attitude of, of judgment that exists in our world, we wall ourselves off. We protect ourselves. We don't expose ourselves. I'm standing right now in a bunch of cloth that's covering up uh, a big piece of artwork that was done on, um, on Wednesday night at our last Wednesday service um, where some artists kind of were, were, were doing things, drawing things on the stage while, while worship and prayer was happening. You know, when somebody expresses themselves in art, they're really putting themselves out there. It's a very, very vulnerable, vulnerable thing. I go through a serious bit of feedback after every message I do on the weekends, and people kind of critique and feedback. It's very vulnerable because you just put your heart out there, and yet people criticize it. And in this case, for me, willfully, because I want to get better. Well, when you put yourself out and you put something out there, you're very tenuous about it. You don't want to expose yourself. And here's the thing. For you, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a piece of art. God has made you as a masterpiece. There's never been anyone like you. There will never be anybody like you again. You are beautiful. You are unique. You are different. You may have some flaws, but you are beautiful and you are masterful. 
And what we do, because we don't want to really show people who we are, because if we show people who we are, we actually might get hit. And so what we do is we spend our lives, because we judge other people, we know they're judging us, and we spend our lives hiding ourselves, not letting people know things about us, not letting people know our dreams, not letting people know our financial situation, not people, letting people know our faults, not letting, I know people who have, who have great friends that have never told their friends that they were divorced a decade ago because they don't want to be judged that they've had a divorce. We wall ourselves off because we're expecting at any moment That wasn't supposed to fall. That really was not supposed to fall. Wow. That's a good shot from over here, isn't it? You're just like, everyone's going, whoo, hey, man. Now, what is that, man or a boy? I'm trying to figure that out, huh? I don't care who you are. That's funny right there. That's funny. Uh, so Jesus says, whoever's without sin, you go ahead and throw the first stone. And he goes back down and he starts doodling. Starts doodling again. And here's what it says. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The elder ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing. So one by one, as he's doing whatever he's doing, they start going away, the oldest first. Now, why the, why the oldest first? Uh, here's why I think it is. Regardless of whether or not Jesus is writing down anybody's sins on the dirt or not, this still works. Why the oldest ones first? It's because the older you are, the more you sinned. The older you are, the more time you've had to do stupid stuff. The older you are, the more gossip you've had, the more lust you've gone after, the more sexual escapades you've had. The older you are, the, the more greedy you've been. The older you are, the more mistakes that you've had. The older you are, the more friendships that have been towards you. You just had more time. It's not that you're worse than anybody. You've just, you just have more time. You know, when you're 14, 15 years old, and, uh, and, and, and your friend's parents or your parents have an, have an adulterous affair, uh, it is understandable to be hurt, to be angry, to be indignant. Adultery is always wrong, always wrong, always selfish, never the right thing, never honor. It is always wrong. But when you've been married like 10, 20, 30, 40 years, when you've been older, you start to notice some of the unique tensions that go on with marriage. You start to notice how it's easy to drift apart and how it's easy to bump into somebody and start to have, feel this puppy love thing. You start, you start to notice, you, you recognize the unique tensions and temptations for having sex with someone you're not married and the sheer excitement of it. And so when you're older, you tend to not be as judgmental of people who've had adulterous affairs. Or if you are older and you are, it's because you've never really seen yourself in all of your sinfulness. You've, 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 conveniently just not noticed your selfishness. You've just not, here's an interesting one. Look at the book of Galatians. You don't have to look there. I'm gonna pull it up here for you. Galatians chapter four and following. I have it up here for you. Here's what it says. Chapter five. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, 
Debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is one of those lists that people like cherry pick from and say, aha! Sexual immorality, yes, yeah, someone who is uh, two-timing, who is a homosexual, who's, they're, they're not going to have, oh yeah, orgies. I mean, if you're having an orgy, obviously you're not going to have it. Well, it's interesting how people who are excited about quoting that are so blind to themselves, because I know people who believe that who are very angry. Fits of rage is up there. And if you have a fit of rage, or you're a person who just gets angry, you're in the same camp as somebody who's having four women at the same time. Here's another one, selfish ambition. Hmm, am I really on the career path that I'm on at work for any other reason than selfish ambition? I mean, really, really. Am I, are you really doing what you're doing in life? Have you chosen the job you've chosen? Do you want the promotion for any reason other than selfish ambition? I mean, do you want a promotion so that you can give a higher percentage of your income to people who are... Do, no, I've never heard anybody say, I want this promotion because I want to give more money. No, it's, it's said nicer than that, but it's, it's selfish. And it's about me increasing my kingdom, having people know that I have the certain title. Selfish. How about this? How about the envy? Envy. That's a, people who drove cars that aren't as nice as the other cars in the parking lot, if you're prone to constantly go, oh, I wish I had that, you're, you ain't going to heaven. Okay, so all of a sudden these verses actually become much more problematic. We conveniently judge people on the selective things that we think that are really the bad ones when we're all along, we're utterly blind to the ways in which actually God is judging us because it's his job description. People say, well, hey, is well, this person gonna go to heaven or that person gonna go to heaven? I don't know. It's not my job description. <laughs> My job description is not to judge. My job description is not to figure out who goes where when they die. That's not, not my job description. God can do anything that he wants. It's my job description to love. It's my job description to give grace. It's my job description to, to be understanding. So these people, they walk away. They walk away one by one, dropping their stones, walking away, Jesus straightened up, and he asked her, uh, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Well, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I love this. The one person that could have thrown a stone, Jesus, the one person who's never had an adulterous affair, the one person who, because he's God, has never sinned, the one person who had the right to throw a stone, actually doesn't throw the stone. He says to her, hey, I don't condemn you either, but let me just tell you a little word of advice. You gotta stop doing this. You gotta don't do this again. This is the perfect melding of grace and truth. One of the reasons why I love this passage being in John is because in the very first chapter of the book of John, it says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Full of both. Full of grace and full of truth. A few years ago, I got a tattoo on my body. I always wanted to have a tattoo, but was never sure what I would put on it because I never could think of something I wanted to be marked with for the rest of my life. And then this message of grace and truth really sunk in on me. I said, no, you know what? I want to be marked by that. I want to be marked as a person who is full of grace and full of truth. I mark myself with that. And whether you do that physically, which I'm not, 
I'm not recommending you do that physically, by the way. But spiritually, if you want to be close with God, spiritually, if you want to be relationally intelligent with the people you're in friendships with, spiritually, if you want to be close to God, you must be full of truth and grace. Those, both of those values must be running red hot within us. Because when we're not, then our judgmentalism forces, forces us to hide and protect ourselves. And it keeps us from loving other people. It keeps us from encouraging. And here's the other thing. When you come into relationship with God, when you come into relationship with Jesus, you're able to withstand judgmental tirades where you weren't before. You're able to withstand them and come against them. Um, our society is so judgmental. In fact, we use technology as a way to increase our judgmentalism. I mean, blogs are just another way to judge somebody. Talk radio. Talk radio is a way to judge people. So if you're conservative, you listen to conservative talk radio to feel superior to people who are liberal. If you're liberal, you listen to liberal talk radio to feel superior to those who are conservative. And this is actually the way news organizations have aligned themselves. Increasingly, there's entire news organizations that are slanted towards the right or to the left, and they know that we all love to judge, so we'll listen to them in judging and putting down other people. This is the way our society just works. And even in the, in the, in the church world, uh, we'll, we'll, do, we'll say things like, you know, I need to know more about the, that person so, so I know how to pray. Could you just tell me more about them so I can know how to pray? You mean so you know how to judge them, not so you know how to pray, so you know how to judge them. But yet it's so subtle. It's part of the, part of the infrastructure of our lives and our world. It's so obvious. It's like oxygen. We don't see it, but we live by it. This desire to judge. And we think that we're just making accurate assessments. So somebody... Somebody in the city who lives in city limits looks at somebody who lives in the suburbs and seems to have a perfect, pristine life and judge them thinking that they're not caring about the problems of the world and they have absolutely no problems in their own life. They judge them. People in the suburbs judge people who live in the city and maybe even younger people who live in the city who seem to always buy their pants that are too large, you know, and just kind of walk around like this, you know. And that's me. I, I don't live in the suburbs, but it bothers me when, you know, you got to walk around like this because keep your hand going, dude, man, just get different set of pants you know I, that's got to be hard now it's it's one thing for me for, for for me to not understand fashion sense it's another thing for me to judge somebody because of their fashion sense to put them down because ultimately God doesn't give a rip if your pants are down around your knees I guess if you don't have underwear on you down around your knees then he would care about that but I can feel superior try to feel superior to, my, uh, to other people because they have different values on how they dress and then when you come into relationship with Jesus, not only do you see these things, but when you get judged, it doesn't affect you all that much. You know, um, if I had the same things that were said about me today, 15 years ago, I'd be curled up in a corner sucking my thumb, murmuring mama. I, I, I would be in a fetal position because I, I just couldn't take it. Uh, now, when I feel judged, because I, I know you judge me, many of you judge me, uh, first time you came to Crossroads and even today, you just, in your mind, you said, you know, guy who is pastor of this church, guy's got to be an egomaniac, the guy's got to be doing something weird financially, the guy's got to have some ulterior motives, the guy's got to have this, the guy, I wonder what's going on. I, I, I know that. I know that you do that. I know that I know that I get judged by that regularly all the time. Sometimes in blogs, sometimes in your mind, sometimes I I know that. And it doesn't bother me as much as it used to. One of the reasons why it doesn't bother me is I know and I know one of the reasons I know that you do that is because I do that. 
I do that. I have the same levels of paranoia and judgmentalism about other pastors of big churches. And when Jesus says, judge not lest ye be judged, when the same measure you use will be measured against you, I realize, all right, all right, uh, I have to ask myself, is this naturally coming back into my life because I judge other people? I have to ask myself that. And I'm able to be strong enough to ask that question when you feel accepted with God the way that you are. When you're looking for other people to accept you, other people judging you will absolutely kill you. But when you're not looking for other people to accept you, when you're looking for God to accept you, then other people judging you doesn't hurt you as bad. This is why it says in the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 16, it says the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. When you're in God's family, when you know that God has wrapped his arms around you and somebody judges you, it doesn't affect you like it used to. Because you know you have the affirmation of God, which you never had before. You know that God approves of you no matter what. See, what happens is, when I'm noticing somebody who I can judge, I can make the instantaneous split decision to judge them or pray for them. And what this does is this increases your prayer life. As you go throughout your life, every time you see somebody that you want to judge, it serves as a prayer reminder to just pray to God, say, God, hey, thank you. Thank you for that person. That person is fearfully and wonderfully made. That person is unique. And I know they have problems in their life. I pray you just help that person. Just dump blessings on that person. And then it goes on. And you regularly pray for people as opposed to judge people. No, I want these rocks to be in your hands right now. And um, we're, going to, uh, we're going to do a song. And what I want you to do while we have these rocks in our hands, and all of us have rocks in our hands, all of us do. Nobody is immune from this. It's part of the human condition. You might be further along than somebody else or better at hiding us, but all of us judge in some way, shape, or form. What I want you to do while, uh, while this song is done, I want you to sit and I want you to contemplate what your unique rocks are that you end up throwing at people. I want you to ask God to help you identify the areas that you are most prone to judge in. Because those are the areas that God wants to work on right now. God, as we sit in this moment of prayer, um, I'm asking that you would help us to see our life the way it really is. Not the way we want it to be, but the way that it really is. Help us to see ourselves and what our rocks are.